What's going on, guys? Drew Sample here, your host of the Sample Hour. Um, just want to give you guys a heads up about this episode. Uh, when we first when I first started recording with this guest, uh, we had some technical issues, and it uh, I don't we couldn't basically I couldn't get we couldn't get in touch with each other for like another couple hours. And then we couldn't get in touch for a few weeks after. So there's going to be some breaks, and it's because we were having technical issues. So this this is the first time I ever did a podcast that spanned over a few weeks. Um, but it's a great episode. There's really good information out there. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy it. So before we get started, though, I want to give a shout out to the friends and affiliates. So if you guys want Bocking 4 and 14 Comfrey, Go to just email naturesimagefarm at gmail.com. Um, he might be taking pre-orders for pigs if you want to get some of that pork. I know I'm going to actually talk to him about putting down a deposit after he hears this episode because that's how I'm telling good old Greg Burns that I want to get a whole pig. So I don't know if, if I can do that yet, but that is that is what I'm interested in. Um, personally, um, I... I can't say enough good things about this individual. He's the person responsible for the theme song and everything else like that. So definitely somebody who's who's it's a pleasure to do business with and and provides a superior product for you. So check out uh, if you want comfrey or you want to contact him about putting down deposits for Thanksgiving turkey or for pigs, go ahead and do that. Uh, next, if you go to newfarmsupply.com, uh, Grant Schultz has a ton of cool shit. Um, so just, uh, just use code word sample for anything he has on the site and you actually get 20% off any purchase. And finally, if you guys are interested in learning how to farm, uh, I would highly recommend Curtis Stone's course. He's actually, Scott and I did a podcast with him that's coming out Thursday, which I'm super excited about. So if you guys are interested in learning to become a farmer, just click on the first link in the show notes and you'll actually save a hundred dollars or you can sign up for the payment plan which is the other link which so there's two photos so either click on the first photo or the second photo all right guys with that being said enjoy the show Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. I'm uh, really excited to have this guest on today. Uh, thanks to Javin Bernakovich, uh, I've been able to get connected with this guest. As many of you know, um, I've really been. Uh, I need. A, I'm going to start an aggregator or a food hub, and so I was seeking out some people that are already running successful food hubs, and I wanted to get or aggregators, and I wanted to get them on the show. And Javin said. Uh, this guest is doing very well, so I, I linked up with her. Her name is Jay Coward. She is the owner and operator of Found Bar, Found Farm Bound, and it looks like you guys operate out of British Columbia, and you have a Alberta section too, because I see Calgary. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we're, we started originally in BC, but it, I call it the spillover effect. Is every all, like all these communities, kind of next to communities where we have the service, want the service. So we're kind of slowly reaching out to find out where our boundaries are. Um, with 
with the limitations of shipping, of course. So that just seems to be our biggest challenge is, is getting the produce there quickly. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, Jay, if you don't mind, how did you uh, kind of find yourself, uh, I guess, give me, give me a little background in uh, how you wound up in, this, uh, in the local food, agri- uh, small-scale agriculture scene. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was uh, d- doing the corporate thing, living in the city and uh, just kind of burnt out and wasn't really for me anymore. So um, on a whim, I quit my job and I moved back to my small town of uh, Lumbee, which I went from living in Vancouver to Lumbee, which is 2000 population, 6000 surrounding area and um, started studying herbalism and uh, started a company where I kind of, you know, just made herbal remedies and sell them at the markets and health food stores and stuff. And it really got me into the local food scene with the producers. Um, And then we started a not-for-profit community co-op in our community because we didn't really have access there to local food. We'd have to travel over to the next town to have farmer's markets or health food stores where we could get organic food um, easily. Uh, So there was a lot of people maybe that didn't drive or seniors that wanted wanted really good quality food and couldn't get it. So we started this co-op and... um, we basically just marked things up enough to turn the lights on, and and I learned a lot about uh, our food distribution systems in our province, um, those suppliers and all of that good stuff. And uh, at the co-op, we organized a permaculture design course, which was put on by Gordon Jana um, from Element Eco Designs, and Javin came in and did a day of teaching with us. And uh, at the end of his teaching day, he challenged us to take an idea um, that embodies the 12 permaculture principles um, that'll do something for your community or that maybe you could turn into a business and he said just take it on a date so you know don't get out the limo don't be buying the fancy bottle of wine just you know spend a hundred dollars and spend two weeks on it and see where it goes and maybe it'll fall flat in its face but maybe it'll turn into something really beautiful so going into this permaculture design course I had had this fantasy of starting a tea farm because with my herbalism business, I was buying herbs off of other farmers or wild crafters, and I always felt like I was kind of cheating because I wasn't growing my own herbs. So I was taking this permaculture design. I was going to start a permaculture tea farm. And uh, when Javin was talking about the concept of guilds, so we have like a nitrogen-fixing plant and a pollinating plant and you know an overstory plant, and they, they all have different roles in their community and their guilds. And the nitrogen fixing plant doesn't try to be the pollinating plant. It has its role and it does what it's good at. And I had this huge weight lifted off my shoulders because I'm really not that good at growing things. And um, so it was a really beautiful moment for me because I'm really good at marketing and I'm really good at connecting people. And I've proven that over years. I worked in sales and marketing for years and I got this co-op going without ever growing a single vegetable, um, but bringing the farmer and the people together. So... I thought, why not do this as a business? So um, the home distribution or home delivery model exists in most cities in Canada, major cities in Canada, but not in the neighboring community to Lumbee, which had a population of about... So you did sales and marketing in the corporate world. What kind of sales and marketing were you doing? I was in the lumber industry. (laughs) So I um, sold hardwood lumber and plywood to... uh, I originally worked for a mill, and we did, like, um, my biggest account was Home Depot, and we did their OSB program, and then I um, got a job working for a distribution company, so I sold hardwood, lumber, and plywood to cabinet and furniture manufacturers. 
So kind of just got burned out on that, right? So yeah, yeah, I've been big in, time. I've been in telecommunications for like ten years, so I, I definitely know the feeling. Um, so so okay, so you're 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 going, you're like feeling relieved that you don't have to do, you don't have to be a farmer, you don't really like growing stuff, um, you're not that good at growing stuff. So how did you start? Um, I guess kind of kind of continue with where you're at. Uh, with how you started to, to decide to start doing the aggregator part or where you were in your story. Sure, yeah. So um, so I had learned a lot uh, at the co-op about um, connecting people with food and kind of doing this pre-ordering system. And uh, so I decided to do the home delivery uh, model in Vernon uh, because they didn't have that, uh, that system set up yet. So it was kind of more of a side project that I was running, you know, along with... Um, with the herbalism business that I was doing. And uh, so we're, you know, I'm cruising along, I'm doing this, this business. And we had, you know, maybe 50 clients. And then my sister was living in Northern BC and she was just like, dude, you have to bring this food up here because in Northern BC, they can't really grow a lot. Uh, they have a lot of daylight hours, but their season's really short. So they can't do like tomatoes and, you know, they're really good at kale and root crops and stuff, but no fruit or anything like that. So, and especially organic. So, um, yeah, and so, Scott, this is something interesting too for listeners that are American and don't understand how big British Columbia is. So, if you go from, I think, Vancouver to the top of British Columbia, it takes like 20 hours to drive. That's right, yeah. So, I live somewhere in the center of BC, and the drive from where we are to where we're, the northern point where we're delivering is 12 hours. Oh, and wow. that's not even like that's just kind of midpoint to midpoint, that's not top to bottom. Okay, yeah, so it's big. Yeah. And the climate really varies here too. Like we have, um, like, so where I live, the Okanagan is kind of like the Napa Valley of Canada. There's lots of wineries. Um, it's like a big, there's a lot of fruit. We grow cherries and peaches and it gets really hot here in the summer. It's almost like a desert. It gets, um, 40 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but, um, it's, it's quite hot and we have quite a long growing season as well. I could, uh, people, it's just 1.8 plus 32. So if you guys would do the math, it's, uh. I don't, I'm not good at math in it, but it gets warm. That's <laughs> the hot, point. Yeah. yeah, it gets warm. It's, lots of people think it's just like igloos and stuff up here, but we live in this kind of microclimate where it's, you know, there's lots of, lots of temperature in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so you're, so how did, so, okay, so with the delivery service, the home delivery service, when you're doing this with the herbal business, so this was something that, that branched from the nonprofit. Yeah, kind of. I took what I learned out of the nonprofit, and then I decided to do it as a for-profit business in the neighboring community, which was about twenty-minute drive away, um, which is a bigger population. So I did the the home delivery model of you know people subscribe to a box, kind of like a CSA, but we pull from all of the farms in our area. So we have you know we have kind of a biodiverse area where there's an area that's a little bit cooler. It's really good at root crops, and then we have an area farther south that's really good at selling fruit. So we, you know, bring all the farms together, make up these mixed boxes and people subscribe to them like a CSA and, uh, and then we deliver to their homes. And so we kind of, so we're doing that locally. And then there's, there was just this explosion up in Northern BC where they don't have access to, um, to all this good food. So like Northern BC is a little bit more typical of the Canada people think of where it's like, it's very cold. They can't really grow a lot of things. The summers are very short, uh, but there's a lot of people out there because there's a lot of um, business going up on uh, with oil exploration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people are living in northern BC that are actually from the south. So we just kind of put this ad on Facebook, and it 
and it just exploded um, with people wanting this good food. And then, you know, the neighboring community would hear about it and the neighboring community from there would hear about it. So that's kind of how we built our business in the last year was servicing these areas that didn't have access to the food like we do. No, that's awesome. So, so, uh, and I'll, I'll ask you about Facebook and the Facebook ad in a second. Cause that's a, I think especially when you, when you learn how the Facebook, Facebook marketing works, I mean, with you, the, uh, you get really good results for not a lot of money. Um, that's right. but, but, um, to, so how did you find the farmers? How did you go about finding the, the farmers with diversity? Did you have any, um, any specific standards you were looking for with the food? Um, well, we did all certified organic um, to start, but I was fortunate enough that I had the relationships with a lot of them from being at the farmer's market with my other business, uh, with, with Bear Nature, where I was at. So I had personal relationships with them. And then with working at the co-op, I built a little bit more of a connection with them, um, finding out what their growing seasons were and what they did well. Um, and then it was just kind of a trial and error thing over the last year of, you know, finding different farms. What are they good at growing? What do they like to grow? Um, getting farmers used to wholesale was um, a little bit different, too, because I was dealing with a lot of the smaller farms. So that consciousness shift for them, some of them were open to it and some were kind of resistant to it. But I think once they saw the benefit of large volume sales of one item even though they have to drop their price a little bit, a lot of them really liked it. So to start off, we just did organic, certified organic only. And then as we got going, there were some smaller farmers that didn't go after their certification, but had really great practices like permaculture practices that we decided to partner with. Um, like, like Curtis Stone, for example, um, you know, he does his backyard urban farming. He really can't be certified organic, but he has really great practices. So we'll sell his products. That's awesome. Yeah. He's uh, Curtis is a guy who, uh, um, I really studied for, um, I mean, I, I got his course and I'm, I'm friends with Curtis. I've had him on the show a couple of times and I've heard him talk about, uh, the aggregators he works with. So that's pretty cool on, uh, Diego's show. So that's very cool. Um, so, okay. So, so you just start, so you mainly started locally and then your sister said, you know, come to Northern BC and it first started taking off through the Facebook ad. That's right. Yeah. And then how did you look, so what happened with, and so how do you get the food up there? Uh, we do, we set it all on pallets on refrigerated LTL shipping. So um, trucking companies that have networks set up throughout our province um, and they have like, you know, drop off points in each community. Um, we can rent a pallet space on that truck and, you know, it only goes certain days of the week. So um, it, we pack it all up in uh, shipping boxes and then we stack it all up high on a pallet. And then these uh, refrigerated companies take it up to the communities and then it gets sent out to a pickup location, kind of like a Sears depot would be if you'd order something from Sears. I don't, do you guys have Sears in the States or is that a Canadian thing? No, no, we have Sears. It's like Sears? Sears, Sears Roebuck, right? Yeah. So maybe I'm dating myself, but remember years ago you used to have, get the little Christmas catalog and you can order your stuff and then you go down to the Sears depot and you get your little package. Yeah. Um, and then the Sears depot gets paid to hand out the package to you. That's kind of how this works. Is so we have um, uh, businesses or, or individuals that we partnered with in these communities. So in Fort St. John, it was an individual, and she just rents a room at the community hall, and the pallet shows up there, and everybody pa- uh, comes to pick up their their food, and she gets paid per box or per order fee to hand them out. Um, in other communities, we've partnered with like a small boutique gift shop or something, so they benefit from getting the additional traffic for their store, and then it kind of creates a buzz about their 
there's space and then they pass out the boxes and and then customers only have like a few hour window because it's fresh food to pick it up because it you know you don't want it sitting there and then how so do people run into like do you run into issues with people not coming to pick up their food yep sometimes people forget we send out a reminder email and they get a phone call um but you know life happens i know i was a subscriber for a csa for years and i probably forgot more than i remembered but um so what we do with that is we have the pickup location donate the forgotten boxes to the local charity and it's you know people are pretty usually pretty good they're like ah you know i forgot it was my fault so that's awesome and then so so okay so you went into northern bc and then how did um how did because i'm looking even in northern bc you have uh well and i think northern bc and alberta are connected but you guys have two four six I mean, you have over eight pickup spots or you have eight pickup spots in northern bc and alberta so was most of your so most of your expanding like what what happened for alberta was it just you had a successful facebook campaign and you're like mm-hmm. okay let's find other areas that aren't too far away and see if we have the same success no, not at all. Um, they came to us, so they would have a friend in the community next door, or they would see the Facebook ad because it would overlap into their area, and the Facebook ad would pop up on their feed. They'd be like, hey, can we get this in our town? I never actually went out and actively asked to be part of anybody's community. It always came to us. So so far, anyways, but we're a year and a half in. Um, and I think, I don't know, like, it, I guess it would just depend... I don't know if that could be replicated anywhere else because we're in such a unique spot where we have all of this food here in BC and then in central BC, but there's these areas that have like virtually nothing. Like they, they can hardly grow anything. So they're really looking like food up there is a really fresh food is a really big problem and it's very, very expensive and the quality is very poor. Like it's, if you go up to Northern BC and you go into grocery store, and Alberta is the same situation, because of the transit time, you, if you go into grocery stores, it's really hard for grocery stores to manage their um, supply chain because you know they, with fresh food, by the time it gets there, it only has a few days before it goes bad. So you can, you can sometimes go to grocery stores and there, there's nothing on the shelves, or you can go in there and all the food's rotten, or you go buy some food and you get it home and it's rotten the next day. So fresh food is a really big problem. So, um, people are actively searching this stuff. So, and then again, with organics, it's even harder for, for grocery stores to stock food up there and make a profit in, in organics because it's a you know lower demand, and the, the food goes bad fat even quicker than the other food that's up there. So it's something that people are really looking for. So people have sought us out, which has been really beautiful. And and sometimes I almost feel like I'm cheating because it's been people are coming to me for the business, not the other way around. No, that's pretty awesome, though. You have a you have a I mean, you have demand for something that people need. And I think even I think even here, like in the States, I think our transit's probably um, like I'm in the Midwest. Our transit's probably easier. We don't have real mountainous terrains and all the a bunch of major highways come through ohio but i i can imagine other parts of the country but even just for good uh produce like even if you want good salad mix you get stuff that's usually from california and it lasts maybe a week if you're lucky and you pay six bucks for you know like eight ounces or something like that or six ounces so i mean it gets it gets pretty tricky so if you could get if you could get it from a distributor that is in direct contact with the farmers and even if it has to just be on a truck for 12 hours that's way better than getting put on a plane getting flown somewhere and then put on a truck i mean it's just less uh 
that you know the less people that touch the product the better quality it's going to be yeah absolutely so say you know for even if the product is coming from the okanagan they're getting up there all of the distribution centers in british columbia are a five-hour drive west of where the bread basket i'll call it is and then it and then you know it goes so it goes to there sits in the warehouse and then out to the people so it's probably similar there where in california it gets picked goes to some warehouse in california and then all the way across to you guys yeah so if you can do a direct thing with the farmer which is in essence what we're doing then you're cutting you know two to five days off of off of the time it takes for a product to be picked and to get in the hands of the consumer absolutely and then so is it um so is now is your is your uh are most of your products is it predominantly just fruit and vegetables have you guys ventured off into good meats as well or have you okay we do a bit of meat it's there's not a lot of margin of meat meat's a really tough one um organic meat is already expensive and the farmer's margins are already tight so there's not a lot of wiggle room for wholesale so meat i do more as a service to the customers but um we do a lot of dairy like we do a lot of milk and cheese and eggs um, and we add on processed goods um yeah so you know granolas things like that uh, but again the major part of our business is totally fruit and veg i would say about 80 to 90 percent that's pretty cool yeah I, I i can imagine like i have friends here that do uh like just you know, we were just at that pig bitch pig pig butchering and i bought half a pig and i was like thinking in my head i guess i could break it up into ground and everything like that but it would be something that i need to move quick and and it's just uh i'll have to figure it out i mean is it when you do sell meat is it is it do you just mainly sell like okay we i have this amount of sausage do you do you buy it from the farmer i know here like if i'd have to buy a whole animal and then it gets sent to a butcher then i get certain cuts and then i pick it up um Mm -hmm. like are you getting it from the farmer's butcher are you able to get it directly from the farmer how how does that work in canada the meat, yeah, so it all has to go through um, a provincially uh, government-inspected facility. Um, I am lucky enough, especially with pork, to be set up with a farmer that is local and organic and is setting up his business so he can sell. Like, he has, like, I, I don't have to buy just a pig and just sell what I have from that pig. I, like, I can just order 20 packs of bacon and 30 packs of sausage and 40 packs of, of pork chops from him. Uh, so that's really good. He's setting up his business that way, but um, it's it's hard to find a farmer that is set up that way because a lot of them just want to sell like a pig or a half a pig, and then you kind of have to make do with what you have there. But he's setting his business up that a way that works for us. But I think that's quite challenging. I don't know. He's one of the only ones that I've found that's set up that way. So I'm really lucky to have him. Yeah. And then I can sell like I, I try to sell everything either packs or individually, but um, it's not it's not a really big part of the business i don't know I okay. i'm not really sure where i'm going with that one yet. no 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 I'm you're fine yeah it. i'm just curious because i know i have uh like mainly because i i wanted to have you on here so i could take your ideas and try to make them my sure. own and but yeah. <laughs> uh i because I, there's some friends of mine that i know grow pigs and i've already talked yeah. to them and it's like or you know they raise pigs and it's like i've already talked to them about you know would you be interested in aggregating and they're like yes how would you do it and you're like and i'm just always like you know, I got to figure that out. Like, I got to figure out how that would actually work because this is such a new idea. Um, yeah, it is. I would talk to um, the, the company is called Wild Moon Organics that they use, and they're really great. They're out of Armstrong, BC, and maybe just pick their brain and see how they did it. Like, how did they set themselves up to be able to sell like that? 
yeah. because they they really did that right from the start. Like they re- they never really did the half a pig pig thing. They did they always like right from when they first started coming to the farmers market. They sold pork chops. They sold everything the way people buy it from the grocery store. So maybe chat with them about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I know um, yeah, there's another guy that does that too. But uh, anyways, yeah. So moving on. Um, so for the varieties and fruits and vegetables. How many? So, how many varieties do you try to have for uh, the season? Or do you do you try to get um, as much possible for each part of the season where you know it's in stock, or um, or is it just kind of you see? So it is, how, yeah. how does it? So what? So let's say I'm a customer and I want and I'm and I'm on your website and I want to place an order. So how do you guys? manage that and and sort everything and get from point a to point b sure yeah so at the beginning it was all done on uh excel spreadsheets which was an email correspondence with our customers which was a disaster um trying to manage everybody's you know substitution requests or add-on requests and not missing anything and make sure it gets recorded and tallying up all the numbers and getting them off to the farm um so after about a month or two of that we realized that wasn't going to work so there's um a number of different csa softwares out there you can subscribe to um we chose one um that worked work very well all of them have their limitations and stuff right because they're designed by somebody else and everybody else's model is is a little different but um the one we subscribe to is now actually going out of business so i won't speak to them um but i will speak to some other ones that are out there because we've had to kind of research and find a new one um so how they work is they're they have a front end for your customers where they can order um, and then we have a back end where we can manage our inventory and our boxes and pricing and everything. Um, so what's unique about them? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say. So is it, does it just plug into the website, or how does that how does yeah. that work? Yeah. So it's like an extension from your website. So you build your website with all of your information about your business and your farms and all that stuff, and then it's an extension. So your customers will hit login. And it'll actually take you to, it'll look just like your website. They'll format it to look like your website, but it's um, a different back-end system. And so customers can log in. They can manage their payment info. They can manage their subscription, like any of their delivery info, um, product preferences. Um, and then they can manage their orders each week or month or however often they order. Um, and what's unique about it, then, like, because a, a typical cart system, because there's hundreds of cart systems out there on the internet you, su- you can uh, subscribe to, but what's unique about this one is the back end, you're able to build boxes. So, you know, you can have a small, medium, or large box that customers subscribe to, and each week you can put things in the box. So you put, like, your carrots and your potatoes and your lettuce and your oranges or whatever in there. And then customers can log in, and they can substitute in things in and out easily if you want to allow them to or you can just say you know your box is your box um, and then it also gives the customers the option to add on to their order so they can add on a milk or some pork or whatever else excuse me and then um, what's unique about it is that it'll t- it'll take everybody's orders and then it'll tally it up and they'll you'll be able to print a report and say okay I need 500 bags of carrots and 100 things of this or 211 of that and um, it'll it'll give you a report rather than trying to manage everything on Excel spreadsheets. And then you can also process payments through that system. And and I think yeah, and do delivery routes. So it'll you know print off everybody on your route. And you can order it just so to print it off. And they're really designed for home delivery or CSA companies. 
That's cool. So do you ever run into the issue because you, I mean, is it, so do you, do you already know, like, do you take orders and then go find the supplies or do you do a little bit of both? Like, is it sometimes, all right, I have this much in stock, so I know I definitely have this. And then you load it into the, the software, but then you, then you think you can have so much stuff. So you build boxes off that. Like, how, how are you managing inventory with current versus who you have to go and uh, find from, uh, from farmers? Sure. So I actually don't inventory any fresh food um, other than like some storage crops I'll inventory. But I, I touched on this before. I'm kind of struggling back and forth between just-in-time inventory and then buy, doing big buys and selling out of that. I, I feel like I'm leaning towards just-in-time inventory of ordering from the farms each week. Um, just because there's potential for loss and, you know, not storing things properly or whatever, where it's, if it's in the farm's hands, it's, you know, that it's given to you in good quality. So what I do is um, the week before my deliveries, I'll speak to the farms and find out what they have and what, what is good. And we might not have every single item under the sun available every week. Like some weeks there's no lemons or some weeks there's no whatever it is that they're, that the farms aren't working with. It's not like a grocery store where, you know, you can walk into, I don't know what chains you have down there, but maybe say Safeway or something or Costco. And you know, you're going to find lettuce and potato, like every single thing will be there where ours necessarily isn't like that. It's kind of what's in season and what the farms have. So I'll, you know, I have all my suppliers and I'll speak to them the week before, and then I'll go on to my store and I'll, I'll act, I'll activate everything that's available and fill my boxes from what the farms have and what quantities they have. So the farm might say to me, you know, I have 500 heads of lettuce and 200 bunches of beets and a thousand pounds of carrots. And so from there I can say, okay, you know, with those quantities, I can put, you know, three pounds of carrots in each box and, you know, like make, fill my boxes based on what the farms have available. Yeah. And then, um, so then I'm not falling short. I mean, unless like sometimes catastrophes happens, like, you know, they, they thought they had all this lettuce and they had a big storm and it wiped it all out or or whatever that might be. And that's something you kind of have to deal with on the fly. But typically, you design your boxes from what your farmers have said they have available. That makes sense. So have you had, yeah. to, have you had to go back and uh, ever tell, like, refund people because it turned out you couldn't get everything that they wanted? Or do you usually... Yep. Okay. Yeah, all the time. And, and one actually... Um, disclaimer I do put on my site because like this is more people are buying more of like they're making more an investment in their local food systems than they are buying from a grocery store so within their box um, I have a disclaimer that we can sub up to three items without having to credit people's money back so say you know we have a catastrophe with the kale or we have a you know that something comes in and it's just not looking awesome we reserve the right to sub something similar. So you want to kind of build an easygoing relationship with your customers. So they're not like, well, I wanted specifically this or specifically that, like, you know, they can say, okay, never send me a certain item, but like they have to be a bit flexible. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Now do, um, now how do you inform them if, um, like if let's say, uh, people want, like you have a, you have a total of 200 pounds of lettuce or salad mix that you need. And you can only do 150. So do you just send out an email to everybody that says, hey, you need to replace your order. You have to put in a sub. Um, Is there like an alert system that you can do through the software? No, there isn't. Um, But that would be a nice feature. But so it kind of just it shows up like that for people. 
And um, some people don't like that for sure. So some sort of an alert system would be nice, but the software out there right now doesn't do that. So if you're listening and you can make software, software guys, <laughs> we would appreciate that so we can inform customers and let them know immediately <laughs> that you need to go yes. and log in the system and make a substitution. Um, I guess, I mean, you could probably... I, like, do you have it? Like, do you have a like an e, like? Do you use like a um, an email manager where you could just send out a mass email like Mailchimp or a Weber or anything like that? Yeah, certainly you could send out a mass email, and the system does allow you to. But I try to limit the amount of emails that I'm sending to my customers on a mass basis. Like, and it, and if I can find a sub that's really similar, I usually don't hear about it. Like, so say, for example, that we are short on salad mix and I can send them a green leaf lettuce instead that has, it's the same in value. I just do it. And 99% of the time people won't, they, they don't care. It's just, you know, maybe that one, one yeah. person out of a hundred that might have a problem with it. But like you said too, it goes back to, it's an investment in their local food system. This isn't a normal, people kind of know things can change and that's why the disclaimer is there. That's right. Absolutely. And we say like, you know, we're dealing with small farms. Like we're not dealing with, you know, we're not a big chain food store that has these massive, you know, numerous motto crop farms that's supplying them where they can just go get it somewhere else. Like if there's no, there's not enough salad mix, there's not enough salad mix. So people, and people, they almost like that better. It's like, you know, they're, they're participating in small farming and, and, and small local food systems. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. So I'm glad that we uh, we added this in, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really important piece. And actually, if anybody out there is listening that does do programming, please phone me because I would love to get my own backend system written for myself. And I'm just looking for that right person to write it for me. So. Okay. Last time I was kind of picking your brain about just kind of refresher. So. Um, I was picking your brain about kind of like seasonal, what kind of vegetables. And we started talking about meat. And we were kind of talking about how meat isn't necessarily a real profitable product, but it's just kind of good to have. So it's more of a loss leader. Um, But it's just good to kind of supply sources. So um, what other – do you do uh, soaps or um, or anything Mm -hmm. else? Like what all all products do you you try to include that you would – that if I was going to – just buy stuff from you that I could get at a grocery store. Sure. Yeah. So I try to do a little bit of everything, but keeping the focus on like local artisan, all batch productions, um, items like all I do have spaghetti and spaghetti sauce and ketchup and mustard. But, um, I started off and trying to do everything like, okay, I want a whole grocery store. I'm going to have, mayo and ranch sauce, but just all organic. Right. And then I, I slowly came to realize I can't really compete on price, um, with the big box stores, uh, on those items because they're carrying often the same brands. So I decided to slowly replace everything with small, handmade, small companies, local to our area stuff. And even if it comes in at a higher price point, at least it's a different product. Yeah. So I'll do, you know, local handmade toothpaste, soaps, uh, laundry soap, um, and anything else kind of interesting that's made local, like this one makes a really cool granola or like these really cool cracker things and, and I'll list those. Um, there's like an oyster guy I'm, I'm getting on board right now. Um, so anything that just kind of sparks my interest and supports the local movement, I'll, I'll try out and add to the listing. Um, uh, 
the biggest seller so far that's consistent is actually some uh, kombucha. Nice. And it's different than what you can buy. You know, it's not any of the national brands or anything. Yeah. It's really cute packaging, and, and that seems to go really well. Have you ever had the uh, alcohol kombucha? So you can uh, you can actually brew kombucha to actually have alcohol, like you can bourbon age, stuff like that. Oh, I, you know what? I've never had it, but some of my home batches, I swear, after I drink them, I almost feel like a little buzz. <laughs> so that's not surprising that they do that. I'm like, I wonder if I've done it by accident. Well, so it's kind of weird because I guess like I looked into making kombucha and I didn't, I didn't, um, I just, I never did it. Instead, I just started making ciders. Um, but my friend, uh, yeah. his wife's going to, but there's a local spot here. And they do like some bourbon aged um, kombucha, and it's super good. It's like nine uh, percent. Oh, cool. Like it, it will mess you up, and it just tastes like your oh. tea. And it's like it's <laughs> pretty strong. So I just oh, was wow. thinking about that. Uh, anyways, um, so kombucha is pretty big. That's awesome. Um, and then, did you like? So one thing too that I just want to kind of point out is like there's with the right ingredients, which probably most ingredients that people can get from you, they could make their own mayo or they could make their own ketchups or, or stuff like that. Like it's really not hard to make sauces. Like, uh, I was, yeah. I remember I was really intimidated, but when I first started getting into this, that was one of the first things I made, which really made it easier for me to transition to just really eating fresh food was, you know, cause I could create, you know, I could make my own sauce. You know, if you have a good source of eggs, you don't really have to worry about, E. coli and weird stuff that you get from, you know, different types of eggs. And there's a lot of good mm -hmm. egg-based sauces and uh, nut-based sauces. So anyways, so that's something that uh, that's cool too. Um, so what about, okay, so let's talk more about infrastructure. So, because um, sure. that's a huge thing. So for me, it's, you know, you're, you're buying all this food, you're buying in bulk. Um, how many, so how many pounds of food and product do you have to get do you weekly have to store? Um, I guess we, we should start from there. Like mm -hmm. storage wise, realistically, you know, did you start out with just one walk-in cooler, or how did you how did you uh, kind of progress? Yeah, so um, I started off by subleasing bigger cooler space off of somebody. Um, so that was a really affordable way to transition into the business because it's very expensive to build the walk-in coolers. Um, and you need a lot of cooler space to be able to go in and out. But the thing about this business is, well, for me anyways, it was mostly in and out within a couple of days. And then you kind of grow from there where you start opening more and more days and then you need cooler space for longer and longer periods of time. Um, but like in terms of cost to buy your inventory, I just did everything really slow. Like I, um, I built the business uh, financing it with sales dollars rather than doing an initial big investment. So I just started off with, you know, a few small add-ons just focusing primarily on the produce and then just having a few little things to add on and then just slowly increasing my listing week by week, month by month. Um, and I'm still increasing it all the time. Um, and then for the produce, everything's kind of almost on pre-order. So like you have your customers with their subscriptions and you have a certain cutoff point, you just order everything to order. So you don't have a lot that sits that you need to store kind of ongoing except for your processed goods or your bulk food or whatever it is else that you're selling to add on. Um, so for cooler space, I started by subleasing off of a bigger company. And then when I kind of outgrew that space, I rented my own facility and I built um, one big walk-in and it's 12 by 28. And I'm also, and then I'm, I'm looking to add it on. I'm basically going to double it um, so I can help uh, separate my fruits and my veggies. But um, I keep going back and forth with inventory um, and from a just-in-time model. Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, did you just do a Coolbot then? No, um, the problem, I did look at Coolbot and the problem with Coolbot is, is Coolbot's really good if you have like a big amount of stuff. Like it's really great for farmers who want to store, you know, a certain, certain foods for long periods of times at a certain temperature. But where Coolbot really struggles is when you're in and out all the time. And with this business, you're in it like on pack day when you're packing you're constantly in and out of the cooler right like okay i'm out of carrots i need another box of carrots or whatever it is and coolbot can't really keep up with that so i actually did go with a big commercial unit um and it's not too bad for power consumption but what was really expensive was building the the box itself um do have you looked into doing that like what it takes to build a box okay so there's a few things um, when you build a cooler. Um, you can pr- buy the pre-made panels. Uh, they work, they're amazing. They just clip together, um, but they're super pricey. I ended up getting mine for free, which is was such a huge fluke. The landlord where I ended up renting a space, he's like, oh, I got all these panels back. He's this old European guy, and he's just got, like, mountains of junk. And there's these cooler panels in, in the back of his his storage area. So he's like, oh, yeah, you can set them up, no problem. So I did. Um, but I had to build my own roof and the key with building a cooler. So if you're going to get the panels, it's great because it's done for you. But if you're going to build it, you have to put uh, the vapor barrier on the opposite side and you can't use um, fiberglass insulation. You have to use the foam board, which is very expensive. Yeah. And you need about four inches of the foam board for it to be effective. Yeah, um, I built a uh, like a cool bot trailer. And okay. uh, so I'm having issues with my cool bot now. I don't know if it's have a faulty one, but it keeps resetting. So that's why I was curious because it's, um, as my, uh, my buddy Luke Callian said, he's like, man, if you do this business, you're going to want to probably get a real walking cooler. Not, not a hot wired air conditioner. And I was yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> because it, the, the compressor on a cool bot, the issue is, is you can't get cold air. Out, you can't get the warm air out fast enough. Oh, okay. And it's so that you can, like it will blow, but just like what you said with, uh, you know, going in and out, it's it's getting too much warm air in and out. So the compressor can't work. The air conditioner can't work as hard as like a compressor could to get all that mm-hmm. air out. So, um, mm-hmm. which you probably already knew that. Sorry, I just just wanted to share no. that. Just wanted to share that, Jay. Um, so that's interesting because I didn't, I didn't, I never looked into because when I was first just thinking I was just going to farm, I didn't look into just bought like building my own. Um, just building my own uh, uh, walk-in cooler, but then you go to like a you know a, a gas station or a restaurant, and clearly they built it in there, so it you know it can sure. be done. So, yeah. okay, so you're but you can just add on then. So, like, did mm-hmm. you just get like a normal compressor then for a, a walk-in cooler? Yeah, so I just went to I found a found a cooler guy who wasn't too expensive, and he rigged the whole thing up for me and did all the calculations and figured out which unit I would need and. We ordered it in and have the big fans and stuff. Um, something that I've heard of um, that people do, and I don't know if you've looked into this or not, is but they've gotten wrecked uh, reefer trailers. Yeah. Have you looked at that at all? Um, no, I've. I was just. Uh, yeah, but uh, that makes sense. Sorry, I usually say yeah, like I'm following along, so it's misleading sometimes. So no, I have not looked into that. Sorry. Yeah, so that might be um, an affordable option because um, if there's like the reefer trailer, because it's all insulated properly as it is, and it's all wired in, it's got the fans all hooked up, um, and then sometimes it's even got the reefer unit still on it that's functional, and then you just have to plug it in and get it wired to plug in rather than to 
a vehicle into the wall. And um, that's a really affordable option. And sometimes you can pick them up for a few thousand bucks rather than building the reinventing the wheel, building a big cooler. Because, I mean, Canadian dollars, just to give you an idea of ballpark, my compressor, my fan and everything, which I know because we pay like we have to order it in from the state. So it's a lot more expensive because we have the exchange and stuff. Um, but I think installed it was around eight thousand dollars just for the the unit, the fan. Like so it can be kind of pricey. So if Absolutely. you can find an, an old rack. And, you know, and then it kind of solves two problems for you until you can kind of get things going when you're like, okay, it's time to invest in a proper cooler. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I, um, that's definitely something, uh, yeah. And actually I just Google searched old reefer, old reefer trailers for sale. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And it looks like there's plenty of them. You can get 53 feet length and 102 inches wide. So 13. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's humongous. Um, it does say, all right, but anyways, so that's pretty cool. So you just, so initially you were just leasing from somebody else who already had cooler space Mm -hmm. and then, and then from there, what you did was you, you just, you just scaled up and let the business actually pay for it instead of financing it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. So, um, okay. So when it comes to expansion, like you've already been expanded pretty quickly, and, um, you know, it, you're already in a bunch of cities and it's from demand. Now, do you, do you think you'll continue to expand through Canada or do you think you're going to try to cap it off and just try to build, build a bigger base in the areas you already are? Uh, right now, my focus certainly is just going to stay within our province. Yeah. Um, but having said that, you never know. Um, I'm only a year and a half in, so I kind of want to build a good foundation here. Um, you know, and if this model does succeed, there's no reason I could take this exact same hub and spoke model and bring it to another province and replicate it there. But I think, um, the biggest hindrance to that will be, we talked about before is freight is trucking. Yeah. yeah. No, that would be pretty expensive, especially with the way Canada is shaped. So I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, just <laughs> British Columbia in general, like the 20 hours, um, so, well, okay. Well, that's pretty cool. I was going to ask you something else, but I'm just trying to think. Uh, I mean, that, I think that covers a lot of it is cooling and then food. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess vegetables. I mean, are you, do you try to keep things seasonal? Um, do you have, do you ever like have events for cooking for, for people to learn how to use the food that they're making? Yeah, that's kind of next on the next on the list. We were kind of hair straight back for the first year and a half going, whoa, like this, what just happened? And now we're able to slow down and provide that support. Um, and actually really what you were talking about, like, you know, how to make the sauces and things like that. That's kind of next on our list because as much as I love selling these processed goods, I really just want to sell whole foods for people to make their own stuff with. So the education piece is next. Um And a woman said to me one time, I don't know if this, I shared this with you last time, but it really rang true to me. And anytime I'm kind of going back and forth with something in my business or something's not working out well or whatever, um, they created a yoga studio and they, they had this mantra and it was build community first and profit will follow along. Yeah. And so building community around the food through education and through events, you know, we're doing a kombucha thing where people can come and learn how to make kombucha. Um, I are think you, it's most are you, important. Are you charging it? Is it members only? Is it just, you know, come and learn these old skills, these old school ways? 
Yeah, no, it'll be it'll be free. It'll be open to anybody. Um, we did that actually at the community co-op in Lumbee where we had workshops and stuff and we had people in the community who would just come and share their skills on, you know, countertop fermentation or, or cheese making or whatever. And, and the idea is to get people doing it and giving them the skills. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm right on there too. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing here in Ohio. Like we're all going to go down to, uh, I mean, there's so many of us that are doing our own thing. So if we need help with something you know we all go down and help Mm -hmm. somebody and then we learn how to do it too whether it be butchering chickens butchering pigs um learning some charcuterie uh we're gonna go inoculate some logs for mushrooms on sunday so it should be a good time i I make you know i I, i'm i'm right there with you i think that's the biggest thing is you know without you know what what would we be doing without facebook or the internet let's say the internet stopped what you know what's what's our market going to be doing community wise and so if you have that real life community that real life interaction that's going to go way further than somebody that just likes your photos on instagram or something like that so i i'm 100 percent um on the same page with you there so that's that's great um and then seasonally what do you do you guys slow down quite a bit in the winter time or do you plan for times when you're not in in session or is it pretty much year-round well, interestingly enough, when I started the business, I thought that summer would be the busy time because that's when we have all of the amazing local food. In the winter time, when you're having to order in from somewhere down in the states for a lot of the stuff, it would be slower. But it's actually the opposite, and which is really beautiful. The reason why is because people are people do have their own gardens, or they're shopping at farmers markets, or they have CSAs that they already subscribe to um, with local farms that they love, or they go on vacation. So our summer times actually are slow time and our winters actually are busy time. Although we do promote seasonal eating and we do kind of tailor the boxes more to a seasonal diet, people can order whatever it is that they want. So they can sub in things from California if they want broccoli in January rather than root crops. That's great. That's great. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome, Jay. Well, I think we covered everything. Uh, Thanks for for doing the second part of the podcast a couple of weeks later. We had some technical no difficulties that first week and or that that first time. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Anything else maybe you don't think we, we discussed that we might want to to cover? No, no. I think we went over it all. That was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. So if people uh, – because I know I do have some British Columbia listeners because of – Good old Scott Hebert. Um, if people wanted to, uh, you know, if people want to get a hold of you or if people want to become a, a member of the aggregator or a, a customer, what's the best way for them to reach out and, and sign up and, uh, and, and get, become a part of the cool business you have going on? Sure, yeah. So go to uh, farmbound.ca. And you can sign up there. Or if you're listening from a small community and you want to start a pickup location in your town, just uh, shoot us an email or jump on our Facebook page. I know that's Facebook's like old people um, social media, but that's what that's where we have the biggest presence. So. <laughs> that's so weird too, because I remember when Facebook started. I was a sophomore in college, and my college yeah. is one of the first schools, and now it's for old people. <laughs> getting older I find that funny too. yeah, yeah it's true. getting older uh well that's great now um for events do you have any events coming up or is there a way for people to sign up for a newsletter to look for events or anything like that uh, no just follow our facebook page that's where we post everything that we're that we're up to okay great well yeah. jay thanks for thanks for coming on once again and everybody thanks again for tuning in they learned reading 
Turns out that old highway lead you to a world of misery. 